been there before. You screw up one of your picks in the opening three rounds, and Hayden, you know this. You know this. It feels like you're climbing uphill for the rest of the fantasy football season. That's why today we're giving you our top 36 overall rankings for the 2022 fantasy football season, and even outlining in some ways what our perfect draft would be because... We are very much against consensus ADP with a lot of these top 36 names and can't wait to hear not only you, Hayden, but what the people think about it as well. Yeah, and this this podcast, the last thing you guys need is somebody looking like me mansplaining that these are good football players. So we're going to go into the <laughs> details of like, okay, actually like Tyreek Hill, I, I like him a little bit after ADP. And right. it might sound like I'm I'm uh, negative on Tyreek Hill, the player and all stuff. No, we're talking about like the top 25 best players players in the league so we're going to nitpick a lot of these players like when i talk about aj brown and say maybe he might not pay off adp it's not because i think aj brown's bad like we have to go through all the little details and i don't need to spend a minute saying hey guess what saquon barkley is pretty good when he's healthy right and if you draft with again these top 36 overall rankings which you can find in our free draft guide a cheat sheet which is down below the update is actually going up tonight so get excited uh your drafts are going to be a lot different again than what the consensus out there is excited for this hayden has the odds I have the evens and we got to kick it off with a man who maybe a couple months ago was not the one-on-one, but now we believe he is Christian McCaffrey. And I'm obviously playing for upside. That's going to be a, a big theme of today's show, especially in best ball tournaments where you have to come in first place out of hundreds of thousands of players to win $2 million. And Christian McCaffrey has the best upside in fantasy. We're looking at Ben McAdoo and three of his four offenses have ranked top four in situation, neutral pace. They've added a right guard. They added Iki Aquanu. And last year, his, I mean, this is ludicrous. In his five healthy games, he had 21, 24, 14, 13, and 10 carries. And in those games, more importantly, nine, five, five, 10, and eight targets. Uh, they asked uh, Coach Rule about Christian McCaffrey. He said, quote, Christian's a dominant football player. He's a, he plays a high contact, high percentage of injury position. We're going to put him out there and play him. I think we're all thinking about Christian McCaffrey one way only, and that's attack. There's been no issues in camp. He's changed his offseason regimen, and there's yes. nothing about the Panthers saying we have to dial back his workload. It's going to be Christian McCaffrey. They're going to ride and die with him. The two best backs last season, Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, were both averaging over, I don't know, 21 touches per contest. There aren't that many backs when we go throughout the league and go through these rankings, even seeing 60-plus percent of their team snaps, only won 70-plus percent of their team snaps last season. Christian McCaffrey is squarely, squarely in the target zone for that. And I'm with you. While Icky hasn't claimed the left tackle spot, surely they'll go into the season with him there. Ben McAdoo is hopefully a progression forward. And just in the receiving game, the near the goal line situations, especially in previous years, we've got crazy CMC when Cam Newton was the quarterback. We don't have to deal with that anymore. And I really like how they're trying to manage his situation. And look, you're aiming for upside. You know that if you get the best outcome of Christian McCaffrey, the 101 or 102, you're way ahead of everyone else. So love that. Okay. Two. Jonathan Taylor, number two. Uh, I love Jonathan Taylor. What he did last season, I mean, I was somewhat shocked that the Colts were eighth in points per game last year when they had a quarterback who limited them, a play caller that they couldn't trust that same passer. Um, but now with Matt Ryan in the fold, like I truly think they can get to a similar points per game output, but in a bit of a different way. Like I don't necessarily think that Jonathan Taylor is going to score 60 more points in the running back two that we saw last season. I think, which is why, again, we have him down one spot than where he finished last year. There's going to be a bit more reliance, I think, on the quarterback, a bit more opportunities for Naeem Hines. But again, let me be clear. Jonathan Taylor is 
a sicko. Like he is incredible at his job. 1,300 yards after contact last season. He forced the most missed tackles in the league and had 40 more, 41 more runs that ended in a first down than anyone else across the league. So look, even if those, I think opportunities might drop just a little bit, if he, even if he can't be just crazy efficient, like he was on those numbers last year, I think the tide of the offense is going to raise a little bit where again, lesser efficiency might just mean better, better production and, and better team output in totality. Yeah, and the only reason why I have Christian McCaffrey ahead of Jonathan Taylor is even last year's Jonathan Taylor, his expected fantasy points were at 17.9, which was the second best, uh, depending on the splits. Number one was Christian McCaffrey. Number two, Derek Henry, then Jonathan Taylor. Uh, and the gap's pretty wide. So just at the end of the day, especially in full PPR, I'm going Christian McCaffrey, but nothing against Jonathan Taylor, of course. Uh, and as you can see, by the way, with these rankings, you can see Hayden's rankings on the right, mine on the left the consensus between us all the way on the left. But some of these are going to see a, a pretty significant disparity, especially if you check out the entire cheat sheet. So that's a little note as we go along here. All right, moving on to number three, and we have Justin Jefferson. Last year, he was a 12th overall player and better in best ball points per game. Obviously, he's an elite player, 3.1 yards per hour run versus man coverage. Last year, I would make the argument that he's the highest floor player in all of fantasy take the injury risk away from the wide receiver position compared to the running backs, his age, the usage, the, the team performance is the big thing. Reason The reason why I think Justin Jefferson has a Cooper Cup level ceiling is last year, the Minnesota Vikings were 11th in fantasy usage to their wide receivers. The Rams were second. I'm expecting more passing from Kevin O'Connell and Justin Jefferson's entering the prime of his career. I think there's an argument you can make that he's the best pure wide receiver and the situation looks more improved in the vibes. I will say when I'm reading yeah. through all these training camps, the Vikings have positive vibes. There's a lot of teams that have very negative vibes. The Vikings are one of them with very positive vibes. They love the new coaching staff, especially with that new coaching staff, which is kind of uncommon throughout the league. Sometimes it takes an offense to catch a hold of that. It doesn't seem like that's an issue here at all. And I always go back to what Justin Jefferson himself said on the ringer NFL show earlier this summer quote, pretty much where Cooper Cup was at, where I'm at. I mean, that's a slightly different role than what we saw for Justin Jefferson this past season. I mean, it was a 64% slot rate for Cooper Cup. And now the offense is pass first. Like we might see a drop in maybe two or three yards in terms of his average depth of target, but just more opportunities. And maybe it's not just where the targets are being had. It's who they're against. I mean, how Sean McVay was able to dial up Cooper Cup against safeties and linebackers and really isolated coverage. Just imagine what Justin Jefferson is going to do there. And I'm with you. I'm firmly in the camp where I'm confident, even though it's Kirk Cousins and the Vikings and it's not Sean McVay and, and Matthew Stafford. I'm okay with Justin Jefferson as our number one wide receiver here on the board. And that's where the market ha uh, has flipped. The market has Justin Jefferson ahead of Cooper Cup, who's our number four player. Yep. This only happened just a few days ago on Underdog Fantasy. Hopefully you all are drafting on the app right now. You know you can win $2 million, $1 million, $1 million in Best Ball Mania 3. Go and play. Use promo code the show when you enter. The links are down in the description below. Okay. So if Justin Jefferson is our wide receiver three, that must mean... Cooper Cup is our fourth overall player, I should say. And Cooper Cup's amazing. Let's not get it twisted. Now, am I slightly skeptical about this lingering elbow issue that is bad tendonitis? For sure. But Cooper Cup also saw a stupid 191 targets in the regular season last year. And on the path to the Super Bowl in 21 games, he handled just four times fewer than 10 targets 
in a single contest. Allen Robinson, to me, joining him doesn't impact him because that's just a different role. That's the backside X. That's the receiver in isolation. Being able to stack Cooper Cup with tight ends or wide receivers on the front side, it's it's incredible. Um, really, the only way to me, Hayden, that this doesn't work out is if Matthew Stafford's elbow is significant and he misses multiple games, long stretches, just doesn't have the velocity that he used to. And I do want to bring that out because I think people forget this. Cooper Cup is a big play hunter as well. I mean, he had 29 plus yard reception in 15 of 21 games last year. Big plays are not a problem. We know big plays also equal touchdowns for us in fantasy football. Yeah, I was listening to pro football doc, Dr. Chow, and he doesn't think that this is going to be a huge elbow injury for him. They're just managing it. If it was a more severe injury, they wouldn't be practicing with him at all. So I think they're just pain managing. I still think he's firmly in this top four. I think I can make the argument there's a a, this is the tear break. You know, I think uh, Jamar Chase, who's our number five player, uh, I have him actually at six overall. But I think that this top four is the true tear break. And then you get to Jamar Chase. And the main the main reason for for Jamar Chase being a step down is just his usage is like the I'm, the amount of targets he gets versus what I'm expecting from Cooper Cup and Justin Jefferson is just a little bit different. The last 10 weeks of the season, Jamar Chase was 15th in expected fantasy points. Of course, he was the most efficient player in uh, fantasy last year, uh, led my over expected metric um, in any position. We just need the Bengals to pass more and we have to overcome <laughs> this touchdown regression that jamar chase has like if you're looking at this chart right now nobody scored more touchdowns over expected he was supposed to score 5.9 touchdowns based on his usage he actually scored 13 so uh justin jefferson cooper cup just don't have this negative regression coming down with it obviously jamar chase is a total stud the offensive line's better i still think he's going to be a top end wide receiver one but i think that there's a chance that justin jefferson cooper cup have 30 40 more targets really hard to close that gap, even if we think Jamar Chase is one of the best players in the entire league. Yeah, spoiler alert, we're going to talk about T. Higgins a little bit later on. Um, they are both just fantastic options here in the top 36 overall. Our buddy Ian Harditz pointed out that Chase ranked fourth in the NFL in yards after the catch per reception, despite having an average depth of target five-plus yards ahead of anyone else in front of him. Wild. I mean, he's a model breaker. You know, that's yeah. exactly what it is. He goes in your spreadsheets, just digs a hole in them, lights them on fire. And this is also the type of player, though, where the Bengals themselves have already said defenses are going to play a bit safer against us. The two high stuff, because really, whenever they saw single high, Joe Burrow's eyes just went right over to Jamar Chase and said, hey, man, I'm going to throw it up. Go win for me along the sideline. I also think Jamar Chase is pretty damn good enough to beat two highs shells as well. Oh, like, of course, I mean, it's it's not even going to be a problem here. But I am with you that there is a slight cliff from the fourth overall player to the fifth overall player. In Jamar Chase. When I enter a draft, I'm hoping I get first, second, third, or fourth. That's the top four. Well, how about number six? And that is Austin Eckler, our running back three. Um, we outlined the difference between Jonathan Taylor and running back two, which here last season was Austin Eckler. But actually, the gap in points per game from Austin Eckler down to the running back three was almost just as drastic. As for 2022, I do think it's Fair to wonder if we are buying Austin Eckler at his peak a little bit since, again, he's coming off a season where he scored a boatload of touchdowns, 20. scored 20 touchdowns last year, including seven rushing touchdowns on 11 carries inside the five-yard line. Um, On one hand, Hayden, I think that might be true. But on another, we're going to see improvements with the Chargers as a whole. Like, they improve their offensive line. Zion Johnson's getting ready reviews, like looking great. Um, And 
yes, they were still fifth in points per game last year, but we want as many chargers on our team as possible. I do think there's a little pressure for Austin Eckler to reduce his workload just a little bit from three down. But I think more often that's going to be in between the 20s and not necessarily in high value touch situations because Austin Eckler definitely showed that he had a nose for the end zone last season. Yeah, he's not going to score 20 touchdowns again, but even then he was still second in expected touchdowns last year. So I, uh, yes, we're buying Myers peak, but who has a better argument for number three than him? The next I have up on the list is Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook has been shredding the last three seasons. His 17-game pace uh, total yards is over 2,000. There is plenty of upside here, of course. I do think the offense is just going to be better in general. I'm expecting some of his carries to kind of be swapped for targets. That's all good. Last year, he was a little bit worse than before. His efficiency was down. His elusiveness was down. He has, I would say, among the highest injury risk. Yeah, But if we are playing for ceiling, Dalvin Cook definitely could get into that Jonathan Taylor uh, tier. Um, obviously, he's just there's more red flags than that. So this is a very boom-bust pick. But I think when you're getting to the back half of the draft here, if this is the time where you're already playing uh, behind some of your league mates with the Justin Jefferson teams and the Christian McCaffrey team. So I'm willing to roll the dice on Dalvin Cook, a uh, high floor, high ceiling player. I have him seventh overall. Yeah, and if the offense now is pass first, as Justin Jefferson called it, Dalvin Cook is still an awesome receiving back out of the backfield too who can make things on his own. I'll go to number eight for us. That is Najee Harris. I'm not going to say this one has become more difficult for me as we think through it, but he is a different back among the other of his peers he's ranked around because like the big play just isn't there. I mean, for leading the league in snap rate at the position last season, um, he was just fifth in 10 plus yard runs, 25 forced missed tackles as a receiver, 58 as a runner. And he averaged just, you know, 2.96 yards after contact. And I think we can also point to maybe the Steelers offense being the worst among this grouping as a whole. But I also think there's a cliff between Najee Harris and whatever competition is out there. And as you look throughout this landscape, and as you're going to hear about us talking on, you know, these next 25 picks, split backfields are prevalent throughout the league. And Najee Harris down to Benny Snell is a huge, huge difference. And I also believe, you know this, that the Steelers offense is going to look different this year too. I mean, they're going to have shifts. They're going to be creative. There's going to be under center and under center play action as well. And I just think that if that's going to help anyone of the group, it's going to be Najee Harris as a whole. Yeah, it's hard for him to fail with that usage. They say they want his snaps to go down, but they don't want his touches to go down. And that's totally fine with me. Uh, number nine, Steph Diggs. And I think last year, very curious year for him. His yards per route run the previous two seasons, he was the wide receiver two versus man coverage, the wide receiver four. Last year, that, do that dropped down to wide receiver 37. Very uncharacteristic for Steph Diggs. But I think we can kind of explain this way with just running bad on deep targets. Um, I have it. Right here, he had 38% catch rate on these deep targets. And last year, it was or two years ago, it was up at 52%. So I think he just has to come down with some of these deep targets. We know those are very volatile. We know Steph Diggs and Josh Allen are very good at them. So you just have to be buying that Steph Diggs is gonna gonna rebound here. I think that you can make an argument the wide receiver depth is lacking. And last year he was the wide receiver three and ex 
and expected touchdowns all the way up at 10.9. So uh, he was nowhere near a first round pick last year, but with this a forward thinking podcast hmm. and Steph Diggs has that pace and neutral, neutral pass rate working in his favor, of course. So if we are ahead of ADP on Dalvin cook by a couple spots ahead of ADP on Najee Harris by a couple spots, there has to be someone that we are slightly, slightly knocking down. And unfortunately it's Derrick Henry. Um, and Look, this is not commentary even for me on Derrick Henry as an individual talent and that I'm banking on him being injured. I think it's a comment on what the Titans are going to be this year. I mean, it's gigantic shifts from what we saw the Titans who, let me repeat, were the number one team in the AFC last season. No A.J. Brown, no Julio Jones, no Roger Saffold, and maybe a couple other pieces as well. Um Sure, Derrick Henry doubled his receiving production per game last year. That was up to two receptions per contest. But just the efficiency that we saw on a really good team, the Titans were 6-2 and two when Derrick Henry was in the environment where he could be the running back one in fantasy points per game. It's because he had three separate games of three rushing touchdowns in each of those contests. 27.4 carries per game. I just don't know if the Titans are going to be able to create that system, that environment once again this year. Not saying that they were a fluke last year, but it feels like they overextended a bit too much for, and then the personnel and everything around them has, to me, just gotten so much worse that I, I couldn't rank Derrick Henry above the other names that we just talked about. Yeah, he just doesn't catch as many passes either, so I, I'm fine with it. Uh, number 11 is Devontae Adams. Derek Carr quietly was fifth in passing yards last year um so like yes obviously it's a quarterback downgrade but we shouldn't like oversell how big of a quarterback downgrade it is i think the biggest argument against Devontae adams is there's more target competition but i like hunter hunter renfro but i mean at the end of the day he is no Devontae adams he was the uh, number four in yards per hour run versus man coverage last year uh since 2020 Devontae Adams averaged 19.5 fantasy points. The second closest is 16.6. So we're still talking about one of the most dominant players in the league. And Darren Waller hasn't practiced this entire month. It's been 10 straight days with an undisclosed injury. Darren Waller is older than you would expect. I guess yeah. like I would have guessed like 26. He's actually like 30. Um, and he's been very banged up. So if Darren Waller is just going to be missing some time here and there. Devontae Adams, I still think could be a top three fantasy wide receiver, even though he's changing teams. Okay, let's round out the top 12. It's time for Joe Mixon. The running back four last year in fantasy points per game. Through 11 games, as we know, when like that team was really afraid to let loose and pass all over the field, Mixon averaged 21 touches. I mean, he's the unquestioned top back of this offense. And that huge volume was even with Zach Taylor kind of hedging on Joe Mixon on some third downs and two-minute passing situations. Overall, I just can't wait to see what this offensive line is going to do and elevate to Zach Taylor's play calling, how the team's going to pass, but maybe most importantly, run the damn football with, with Joe Mixon. And I know even Lyle Collins hasn't practiced so far, but you get Ted Karras and Alex Kappa through here already. Um, and look, if defenses are going to try to take away the big plays, as we outlined with Jamar Chase, one a little bit with T Higgins, that's one lighter man in the box. And Joe Mixon might be the, the biggest beneficiary of all of that. And also let's not forget that he sprained his ankle in week four last year and three of his best games were in this first three weeks of the season. So this kind of seems like a chalk pick, but I absolutely love Joe Mixon in this spot because we love the Bengals. We love their improvements and the improvements should only help the running back. And I, I will make the argument that Joe Mixon 
he was worth this pick without the receiving work last yep. year, just because he's an efficient offense. He's going to score a bunch of touchdowns. He was fourth in expected touchdowns, number three or number four in total touchdowns at the position. That's just because the Bengals are good. So there's like, I, I, I'm not expecting Joe Mixon to, to catch more passes this year, but if that does happen, now we're talking about an elite, elite player. So I think that he's paid off this ADP in this role, and there's still the opportunity for him to catch some more passes. All right, before we go on, those are through our top 12. Again, you can find the cheat sheet down below that we're slowly scrolling through as we go along with the show. But I want you on the comments to let me know your favorite top three start, top three round start, because for us, you can see it in the thumbnail. We stretched a little bit there, but I mean, two running backs in this range because we're going to have so many in these rankings. I want to hear from you just on underdog, how you've been going through this, whatever position it is, your favorite first, second, and third round pick. Okay, Hayden, bring us here on the turn. Number 13. Number 13 is Travis Kelsey. He was 15th in better and best ball points per game, which is my overexpected metric. Uh, he was first in routes run per game at the tight end position. He was the number two only uh, behind Mark Andrews in yards per run at 75. I think the only red flags you can have here, and obviously every red flag you can just counter me and say, there's no Tyreek Hill this year. We've never seen Travis Kelsey in this type of offense, which granted, uh, he can still be an electric player, but he is 33 years old. Uh, there have been six tight ends to average more than eight half PPR points per game as a 32-year-old tight end. Their productions dropped 20% in that age 33 season, so that's a pretty notice noticeable drop-off. And if you're looking at just yards per route run, Travis Kelsey was at least at 2.09 from 2016 all the way to 2020, and every single one of those seasons last year that dropped down to 1.9 which was the tight end four against man coverage. So we're seeing a little bit of a decline in Travis Kelsey's numbers if you squint. And the age is uh, definitely something that's on the back of my mind. But if you just want to say there's no Travis Kelsey or no Tyreek Hill and he's still uh, attached to Patrick Mahomes, go for it. I think that there's a lot more risk here than's baked into this ADP, but I'm kind of out on an island on this one. Yeah, so last year he averaged 14.7 half point PPR points. Per contest, I think that was good for like the wide receiver six or wide receiver seven uh, on the season. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Travis Kelsey sees the most targets of his NFL career so far in 2022. Now, so far, his highest has been 150 back in 2018. Um, There's also a player that has only missed one game since his rookie season. Uh, and I believe that was with COVID this past year. Yep. Uh, I, I just think that things are going to be rotated a little bit. We've seen so many other great Chiefs reports of Juju and MVS and Sky Moore. Heck, even Miko gets some run. Uh, I just think it's all going to be built around Travis Kelsey. And like he is going to be that pillar piece. He's going to be that X type playmaker, even if he's in a tight end position. And um, it actually looks like, Hayden, that you and I, this is the player we disagree about the most so far going through this list. Um, but here on the turn, I love it because you you get you know who you're going to get with Travis Kelsey, and you're going to pair him with on the turn. So He's an interesting one to start off drafts. Now, the player we definitely agree on is the next player, and that's Saquon Barkley. Um, what a climb it's already been for Saquon Barkley over these last couple of weeks. And I don't know if it's going to stop. Like, I could see easily Barkley having an ADP of 10, 11, 12 as we go along, despite right now it being 15.8. We're multiple spots ahead. And look, stop screaming injury prone on your screen. He's more than, you know, now one season removed from that significant knee surgery. And what happened last year, at least to me, when I put my lab coat on, it can be classified as a fluke. It's not a split backfield. It's a drastically improved offensive line with Andrew Thomas at left tackle, Evan Neal. Ooh, 
the highlights at right tackle, the interior of John Feliciano, who is a bully. And then you get Brian Dayball's play calling. It's creativity. It's putting players into positions to win. And most importantly, it's focusing on the team's best talent. Guess who the team's best talent is? Saquon Barkley. We're already hearing little murmurs. Brian Dayball doesn't want any clips coming out of camp at all. They're tracking social media for it. But we're seeing some wide receiver, some running back, some funky usage all over the field. And it just means he's not leaving that starting 11 at all. And I'm all in on Saquon Barkley. Not just where he's going right now, but even higher than this. Yeah, Saquon's like the best second round pick uh, to me. And I think in my, uh, I cheated a little bit. I think in my ideal draft in the free draft guide down below, uh, I went Justin Jefferson, Saquon Barkley as the my favorite you one cheated. pairing, which you got to get a little lucky, but sometimes it happens. Time for an update. And by the way, we've seen Saquon have top running back seasons despite being stuffed on seven or eight straight carries and reeling off a 46-yarder. What if he just doesn't have to do that anymore? Like, what if he gets shorter chunk gains more frequently? That's in the range of outcomes here, too. Number 15, C.D. Lamb. And this is just a bet on the offense. Kellen Moore's offense has finished sixth, second, and second in offensive plays last year as a unit. They were sixth in wide receiver fantasy usage. Uh, and I think that the Cowboys defense isn't going to be as good as it was last year. They were extremely hot on turnovers. I think that the, the, the Cowboys are gonna have to pass more out of necessity and CD lamb looks like he's going to take another big step here without Michael Gallup, uh, probably going to miss the couple first couple weeks. James Washington's out of the picture right now. It's Jalen Tolbert and Noah Brown. By the way, I was at Cowboys camp and Noah Brown was the, in the two wide receiver sets. It's definitely still early, but that's something I'm tracking. CeeDee Lamb's playing in the slot as well. We, I was expecting to play more outside. He's still going to be in that slot role. CeeDee Lamb just got no target competition. It's as simple yep. as that. And Dak Prescott's very good. Uh, and I think they're just going to have to pass as much as they have. So it's really hard to see CeeDee Lamb completely uh, busting here. And he has a chance to lead this, this entire league in targets. Yeah. And he's kind of in no man's land, too, in terms of wide receiver six, because it's those top four that we mentioned with Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams a couple spots later. Now you're CeeDee Lamb who's kind of in that area between Devante and the likes of Debo on underdog. Uh, I really like him there. Hey, what we need though is CD lamb to turn into great because he's been really good so far, but we need that like huge next step. And then there's some specialness waiting for us. Okay. More physical, you know, like he's got like yep. all the, the elusiveness and the ball yep. tracking and all that. So just a little more physicality. Mark Andrews is up next as our 16th overall player. Um, he's the Ravens number one pass catcher and arguably after this year, fantasy football's top tight end. 153 targets last season smashed his previous career high of 98. Um, now, I know a lot of people point to where he exploded last year with 10 catches, 125 yards, and a touchdown towards the end of last season. I think it was, what, weeks 14 through week 16. That was actually with Tyler Huntley and Josh, Josh Johnson. But let's not let that over, you know, shadow the fact that he was still the tight end two overall with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. We've outlined it on quarterback ranking shows on other programs are eight players. You must draft when talking about Lamar Jackson, check out that video. Um, the offense just failed him. They couldn't run empty. It was one of the worst efficiency ratings throughout the league. So an improved offensive line, please stay healthy, Tyler Linderbaum and just the environment this team's going to be able to hopefully work in. It's going to not only elevate maybe Mark Andrews to ceilings we haven't seen for an entire season. We've seen it in glimpses, but getting, again, potentially a onesie position. You're only going to start one each and every week at tight end. 
Um, and getting that here in the early to middle part in round two, love that. He's in the prime of his career. The other elite tight ends, you cannot say that about them. The running backs, let's just talk about this. The pass rates from last year, I think they're a little stickier than I think a lot of the market is suggesting. I saw the J.K. Dobbins and, and Dr. Winks here did not like that video. The The knee looked very worrisome, and I know he got cleared with PUP, but Gus Edwards is still not practicing. I think Mark Andrews is a smash pick in the second round. Yards per, per game is the number one metric uh, for correlation into the next season. Mark Andrews beat Travis Kelsey last year in that metric. So I can hear the argument that he's the tight end one. I didn't do this. I flip-flopped this back and forth, but Mark Andrews in the second round, a huge fan of it. Gives you an excuse to draft Lamar Jackson round four or five. Uh, number 17, Leonard Fournette. And everyone thinks he stinks. He's fab. The whole thing, he's no good. I don't really care. Last year, he played 11 games as the full-time starter, including that postseason game, his seven or his 16 game pace, 17 and a half total touchdowns, 86 receptions. He averaged 18.6 expected fantasy points, which was higher than Jonathan Taylor, only behind Christian McCaffrey and DeAndre Hopkins. If you're looking at those games uh, where he was a starter, no Gronk, no Rojo in the red zone. It's going to be Leonard Fournette. They think they're going to run the ball a little bit more than they did in previous seasons, I think he's a total smash. If you can stay healthy, you can bet against uh, Fat Lenny pulling his hamstring in week three. But if you're playing for upside, Leonard Fournette has elite wide or, or RB1 upside. And you get him not even here. You can get him no. later than this. You can get him in the third round. <laughs> you can get him at 301. That's his ADP right now at 25th overall. If you go by, again, our free cheat sheet down below, you're going to leave every single draft basically with, with a Fournette. And I'm for it, man. It's an offense that we want every single piece of that can possibly happen. He dominates the high value touches. I mean, just last season, Leonard Fournette had 25 carries inside the 10. Ronald Jones had nine. He was the next closest and he's gone. He's out of there. Like Leonard Fournette does make people stupid because they focus on the wrong things. And I'm with you. Like he really might be the least talented player. I agree with all of you saying that of this top 36 ranking that we're going to talk about in totality. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, the situation is absolutely incredible. Just 10 touchdowns last year. And the Rashad Whites, the Giovanni Bernards, none of that scares me in the least for taking Leonard Fournette. The only the only way he doesn't hit on the ADP where he's actually going at the 301 is if an injury Jeez. happens. And we're not, yeah, and we're not in the position to project injuries here. Yeah, totally with you. Can't do it. Okay. So after Leonard Fournette, it's his teammate and Mike Evans. So Mike Evans was almost back-to-back -back where C.D. Lamb was going, but after the Julio Jones signing, uh, he has dropped a little bit, and I get it. A tick down ADP that was pretty nice for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' number one wide receiver, and I think it remains clear that Evans is going to finish the team as the top producer at the position. I mean, I believe he's also scored a touchdown in every single game that Chris Godwin has missed over the last two seasons. And he's attached to, in my opinion, still the quarterback who is most undervalued in fantasy football being drafted as the quarterback 10 or quarterback nine after finishing as the quarterback three last year. And Tom Brady, after leading the league in pass attempts of 20 plus yards, I'm all for Mike Evans. Everyone knows that seven seasons in the league are eight. And then every single one has been a 1000 yard season. The dude run routes as well. Like, Mike Evans in the middle of the second round is an easy, easy pick for me. 
I can make an argument that he's one of the most underrated wide receivers. Like no one ever like sure. throws him in like, like the top five list. Like he is a much better route runner. He's not just some contested catch bro in the red zone. He's way more than that. So I like being a little bit ahead of Mike Evans. I also think that the Chris Godwin stuff there, everything I see is they're easing him in. He's not ready to practice. He's weeks away. The whole thing, just because he's off PUP doesn't mean that he's fully healthy on to number 19 though. Nick Chubb, this one's very straightforward. He was 17 and better in best ball points per game last year. He was the RB 17 in usage, the RB 12 and half PPR. He might be the best running back in the league. He was first, fourth, first, and second in yards after contact per carry. Elite stuff from Nick Chubb. It's just they've never given the pass down stuff. This offense doesn't look as good. We think that Deshaun Watson is going to miss at least 12 games, maybe the full season this year. So it's hard to get fully excited about Nick Chubb. As much as I love Nick Chubb, might be the best running back in the entire league. He still is probably going to be always on that low-end RB1 uh, list, more boom-bust than the other guys in this. Like Leonard Fournette, his workload versus Nick Chubb's really not comparable, so I think that he belongs in this low-end RB1 mix. Definitely better in standard and half PPR versus full PPR. He will have to be hyper-efficient on the touches that he gets, but I think he's good enough to be incredibly efficient on them. He's behind maybe and I don't even know if this is arguable, a top five offensive line in the league. Um, Now you do have the question of, we know the redacted quarterback is going to miss at least six games. If it's 12 games, if it's the entire season, what and how does this impact Nick Chubb? I think if it wasn't Jacoby Brissett, let's put it this way, Nick Chubb should arguably be ranked as a top six or seven running back in the entire league in fantasy football, even despite the lack of passing down work. But that's my infatuation with his overall talent. And I'm super comfortable taking him in round two here. And Hayden, I think because it's 2020 vision for us, yeah, we are six spots ahead of ADP because Nick Chubb's currently going as a 26th overall player on underdog. Yeah, okay. I would make that argument that Fournette, there's a tier from Saquon like and Fournette versus Nick Chubb. Okay. So if we go from Nick Chubb down to actually DeAndre Swift. I do struggle a little bit with DeAndre Swift in that so much of his great production and so many of his fantastic plays were on receiving downs last year that were almost broken. Um, because the Lions were put into environments because their team was so awful that it opened up areas for DeAndre Swift to shine. Um, again, he had 20 forced missed tackles as a receiver last year and just 17 as a runner, despite 151 carries. And seven of those forced missed tackles occurred in one single contest against the Pittsburgh Steelers. I do, again overarching point here wonder how neutral game scripts are going if they're going to allow deandre swift to shine as much as the extreme negative game scripts that we saw last year allowed him to rack up fantasy points and we know that the lines want to be in neutral or positive situations and it's not also against the realm of possibility that deandre swift just improves as a runner too because we've seen that happen to a lot of teams and a lot of players yeah, I think the the team's just going to get better, and I think that they want to make him the between the the uh, tackles rusher. Now, Jamal Williams has something to say about that, and we got hard knocks, and I've already seen the clips from Jamal Williams. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to do with DeAndre Swift. He's not going to catch as many passes as he was on pace for uh, the previous season, but I do think that the offense and this offensive line is an ass-kicking offensive line. So I don't want to be fully out on DeAndre Swift, but I can't chase him into like the – the beginning of the second round is just not for me. Uh, Aaron Jones, I have up next. And obviously, we can go over the splits uh, with and without Devontae Adams. He's averaged twenty, almost 23 
uh, full PPR points in the games without Devonte Adams compared to just under 15. So massive splits here. Obviously the target competition is the big deal here. Um, so you can make a very easy upside case, especially in full PPR. Um, I think even in the last, uh, the only game that Devonte Adams missed last year, uh, he had seven screens, you know, which is mm. nuts. Uh, you never see that, but I do want to throw out uh, Justin Muscada. He tracked the Packers scrimmage and it was the first team offense. And in those, it was, AJ Dillon, 14 snaps, Aaron Jones, 12. They rarely use them both on the same, uh, on the field at the same exact time. And just going back to last year, Aaron Jones had eight inside the five yard line carries. AJ Dillon had seven. So you're splitting those. Uh, you basically, I think Aaron Jones has to get the goal line work to pay off this ADP. And the other thing, Eldon Jenkins and David Bakhtiari oh, are yeah. not expected to play. That's their two best offensive linemen. We've seen the Packers with elite offensive lines for like what the last five years. I'm not sure if we can say that this year. James Conner, 22. Man, we love us some James Conner. You can get him in the middle of the third round. Still, shocking. One of the best values out there in fantasy football at the moment. But we want you to exit every single draft of him. That's why we're way above consensus. Um, Let me start by saying that like this will not be the same split backfield as last season, at least in my opinion. I would be shocked if another running back on the team emerges between the 20s like Chase Edmonds did last year. It wasn't just passing down versus early downs. They really just had two very different roles. Um, I think this is just a breather scenario now. Like when James Conner, who in the games that Chase Edmonds missed last year, saw 77%, 82%, 82%, 91%, 96%, and 61% of the snaps, when he needs a rest, there comes Eno Benjamin or whoever else you want to throw out there. And the contracts dictate that. Don't they hate him? Because they gave a boatload of money to James Conner, barely spent any draft capital or for agent money on a second back. This is now, to me, a workhorse situation, a feature back situation. And still, we get the player who dominated red zone usage last year, high value touch usage last year, the eighth most carries inside the red zone. That, most importantly, is not going away for James Conner. I have way too many drafts where I've exited with the guy that everyone hates in James Conner, and I'm thrilled about it. It's like the same exact argument with Leonard Fournette. This is a best backfield situation. I'm not scared of Eno Benjamin or Darrell Williams. He had 20.5, 23, 17.6, and 21.6 expected half PPR points in the games without Chase Edmonds. Uh, And the good news is you can get him in the third round, not even like the beginning of the third round. You can bet the end of the third round, and that's kind of where I've been falling for James Conner. Up next, Alvin Kamara. Uh, last year, he was ninth and better in best ball points per game. I think there's a lot of moving parts with this offense, and I think that we're going to start seeing Alvin Kamara fall down uh, just in terms of efficiency. Even last year, he had career lows in yards yards per carry, the career low in catches per game, receiving yards per game. Uh, his PFF grades were down a little bit, and I think you can kind of expect that a smaller back with a huge workload over the last couple of seasons. The other thing is, no Teron Armstead. The offensive line looks a little bit worse than it has in previous years. And more importantly, Alvin Kamara was getting all this, this usage because Michael Thomas wasn't in the lineup. Now you have Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, and Jarvis Landry. And I think that I'm not expecting the same exact workload for Alvin Kamara. So I think he's his. I'm not worried about the suspension nearly as much after the case got delayed. But I think that the peak Alvin Kamara is probably behind us. He's probably going to be like uh, a low end RB one rather than a, like an elite one like he was last five years. And do Jameis Winston checkdowns hit as good as Drew Brees checkdowns yeah, exactly. as well? Yeah. Like that, that that's a factor 
here. Um, but I think we're also there. The tide is shifting for Alvin Kamara locked into round two, and we're on the precipice oh, yeah. of that at the moment. Okay, 24, back to wide receivers. Uh, we have T. Higgins. Very different receiver than Jamar Chase, in my opinion. Like, we know Jamar Chase had 34 targets of 20-plus yards last season. T. Higgins had just 18. Uh, Chase, 8.1 yards after the catch per reception. T. Higgins at just 39. But again, if we're going to see teams try to take away those massive big plays when the receivers are isolated one-on-one on the outside, T. Higgins, those inside breaking routes, too high coverage, it can be a staple of this team. And what we really saw when he emerged last year was utilizing that contested catchability and being wildly efficient on it. It was bad at the start. First 23 contested targets, only seven catches. The final 13, nine contested catches. Maybe part of that was he had to get used to playing with a labrum injury that he played with all of last year that required surgery this offseason. And I know you know, and you're going to note this, um, he recorded more expected points per game than Jamar Chase last year. Just obviously, Jamar is just a ludicrous, hyper-efficient, game-breaking style player. So this is a, the offense, most importantly, that can support two top 14 wide receivers. I draft a lot of T Higgins at the two, three turn because I like him over the wide receivers that go in that range. And I can always end up with Leonard Fournette or James Conner. So T Higgins, one of my highest drafted players on to number 25, Javante Williams. This is another very interesting case last year as a rookie top 10 yards after carry for, uh, or yards after contact for carry top 10 in elusiveness rating. Uh, he was the one B last year. I'm expecting him to be the one a, how much of that one a is up for debate. Uh, I think you can make the argument that if Melvin Gordon misses time, Javante Williams would be like a top five fantasy player in general. So even if the median outcome, because we think that Melvin Gordon is going to be in there and splitting carries, it's been 55 45 in practice so far. Even if that is the case, you're still better off rolling the dice for his upside. Uh, the Broncos offensive coordinator was asked about which running back will handle goal line opportunities. Uh, he said that will be dependent on the game plan. Didn't have a, a, an answer either way. He says that both running backs are going to be on a quote-unquote pitch count to save him throughout the season. Um, that was not a leading question. That was just his honest evaluation. Um, he does say that he wants to make the, the running backs a bigger part of the passing game. Um, so that's good news just in general, especially with Tim Patrick missing time. So I think Javante Williams ultimately, small loss. I think he could end up being like a, a high upside RB2 which wouldn't be the greatest outcome, but in some simulations, he is the guy you need to win. So I think that the RB 13, 15 range is kind of where he belongs. Before we move on, if you've made it this far, you must like the channel. Be sure to subscribe. Most importantly, we want to really be a piece of your August, your September, your fantasy draft season. We think we're giving you an edge. We're ahead of all these ADP shifts. Get in on the value early. Check out all the other videos that we have in shows on the channel and just hit subscribe. It takes one second down below. Okay, you actually hit on the number 26 player. I'll go back to number 25 and uh, and talk about Josh Allen. Josh Allen I think this is an overlooked aspect of his game. We all know he's an incredible athlete. He had 763 rushing yards last year. That was third among all quarterbacks, only 21 yards away from first. So while we're looking at an insane thrower of the football, not just a Stefan Diggs, not just a Cole Beasley and Manny Sanders last year, how they ended the season with 200 yards and four touchdowns to, to Gabriel Davis, one of the best vertical passers across the league. We know that at any point in the season, even if you have 
Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, whoever Trey Lance threw out there as running quarterbacks, pocket passers plus, Josh Allen's name has to be in there. I mean, he was responsible for 34 touchdowns inside the red zone last year. And hey, we always point this out. We were going to be over market on quarterbacks no matter what. He's being drafted as the 32nd overall player on underdog right now. And we have him all the way up at 25 because at the end of the day, if you hit on the one or two or three, it makes such a difference from week one to week 17 in your fantasy football draft. Yeah, if you drafted Steph Diggs in round one, two, I think Josh Allen in round three, four makes a lot of sense. Moving on to Tyreek Hill, and I'm going to make an argument without even bringing up Tua or Patrick Mahomes Good luck. here. Uh, I think the overall environment is completely changed for Tyreek Hill. Neutral pass rate last year, the Chiefs were first. The Dolphins were 12th. The 49ers are 28th. And I think you can kind of blend the Dolphins and 49ers offenses. And then in neutral pace, the Chiefs were third. The Dolphins were 15th. The 49ers, once again, were 28th. If you're looking at it, Jalen Waddle was the wide receiver 18 in fantasy usage as the clear-cut number one wide receiver in this same exact offense. Debo Samuel was the wide receiver 10. So I think that Tyreek Hill, even if he remains as efficient as he's been, and I am expecting that, I still think we're getting towards wide receiver one, two border rather than locked in wide receiver one. Just this offense is just not geared for fantasy production. So as much as Tyreek Hill says two is more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, which is insane. Uh, I still think just the overall environment's not looking great for Tyreek Hill. So I have him definitely in like a tier below C lamb and those guys. Yeah. I mean, Tyreek had 25 deep targets last year. I think that was the least of his career since his rookie season. Uh, Jalen Waddle led the Dolphins last year with 12. It's not just those vertical routes, those nine routes that you might chart and say, oh, he didn't have that many with Patrick Mahomes last year. It's just the depth of everything. Like the depth might drop by two, three, four yards. Mike McDaniel, hopefully he's a wizard and hopefully it works. Um, but these are actually in back-to-back picks because I'm about to talk about Debo Samuel, where we are the lowest on in terms of consensus. Just to put this into context, Tyreek Hill is the 22nd overall player in drafts, and Debo Samuel is the 17th overall player. We have them as the 27th and 28th, respectively. And don't get me wrong. Again, these are the top 36 overall players. You can't hate them in general. And I also want to point out that if you remove all of Debo Samuel's rushing numbers from last year from his points, he'd still be the wide receiver 10 in receiving only. Um, I also want to throw this out there, Hayden, because I've seen it a little bit like the hyperbole and shout out Anthony Amico. You know, I love you uh, that the 49ers are only going to throw the ball 15 times a game. People might think that they are not going to throw that often because the rushing is going to be so outstanding. And maybe because Kyle doesn't trust Trey Lance one. I don't think Kyle Shanahan uses three firsts to throw less. And two, they were already 31st in the league last year in pass attempts per game at 29. I don't think that that's going to decrease at all. And now the passes are going to be and go to portions of the field where more points result from outside the numbers, further downfield. I love Debo Samuel. He's just going slightly too rich for me. And again, if we're looking at drafts, we have a whole video on Brandon Ayuk at cost. He is the one that I am attached to at this moment. Just as kind of a a data point that I keep going back to Robert Griffin as a rookie with Kyle Shanahan on Washington, they were 30th in pass attempts that year. I think you can kind of make some comparisons. Yeah, 27 and it was a decade ago. 
27 and it was a decade ago. Like I will say the pass attempts from where Jimmy was last year are going to be much different in terms of areas of the field that mm-hmm. I think are, are more valuable to us as, as players. I could also see them go to 35 a game, you know, ride the variance a little bit, be a bit more high risk, but who knows? We're just guessing at this point with new quarterbacks and new offenses. Number 29, Michael Pittman. I feel very good about this. Uh, He was 96th percentile against press coverage, 79th percentile versus man, 80th percentile versus zone. Those come from reception perception with Matt Harmon. We might have him on soon. Uh, And I think the big thing is the quarterback unlocks a higher ceiling. Completion percentage over expected. Matt Ryan was 10th. Carson Wentz was 26th. That number was despite the Falcons being 31st and PFF O-line. We know that the Colts O-line is much better than the Falcons. Uh, I think that he's been dominating in camp. All this stuff has been positive. I think Michael Pittman is can do both. He can win downfield. He can be a contested catch guy. But he is quietly so good at yards after the catch, slants. Uh, they can give him the screen game. And I think that he's clearly the number one player. And there's some contingent upside. If Jonathan Taylor misses time, this offense is going to completely change. We can see we've seen him plenty of times before. Matt Ryan could carry fantasy wide receivers. done it with Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones. Uh, I think that Michael Pittman is maybe the most underrated player. Uh, the underdog fantasy community has been sharp and has moved yep. Michael Pittman up the board. But don't be scared of him in your home league. If you see him like round four or something like that, he's one of those must-have guys. Yeah. In auction drafts, too, he might not go quite as high as the top names and get him at a discount. Okay. Uh, let's go 30th overall with with Mike Williams. Um, your best call of last season. I'll say it. And we love both of these Chargers wide receivers. They're very close in our rankings. I'm excited to see the Chargers attack down the field early on early downs as opposed to what we saw last year. And I mean, Justin Herbert, 7.8 yards uh, on average of target depth, ranked 31st in the league over the last two years. Again, an OL investment. It's likely a major indication that we should see uncorked, unlocked Justin Herbert. And we know that Mike Williams, who even I would say, as a top 30 overall selection can still be better in best ball. Like you just get the great range of outcomes. And I know that Keen Allen has been the steady, significant, not short yardage receiver, but like they just attack two different areas of the field. And I just love Mike Williams in, in this range. And it's again, an offense that we want pieces of that can support two top 14 wide receivers for sure. Yeah, Keenan Allen's yards per out run and some of the efficiency metrics have gone lower and lower and lower every single year. He's entering the exodus of his prime, and Mike Williams is right in the middle of it. Number 31, I hated that I was given this one because I am lower than the market on A.J. Brown, and I hate saying that. He was number three among wide receivers in yards per out run versus man coverage, all the way at four. That is absurd. He's one of the best receivers in the game. He's dominating uh, targets in camp. Everything looks great. Uh, He's very good at the game. The problem is you're just looking at the wide receiver usage and how this offense is utilized. Things are going to have to change a lot. The Eagles were dead last in wide receiver fantasy usage. Obviously, that's not going to be the same because they traded and invested into A.J. Brown, but I need to see a lot more pass attempts. I thought Devonta Smith was good last year, but even Devonta Smith was the wide receiver 40 per game uh, and he hasn't left yet. Um, just looking at the Eagles, they're 25th in passing yards, 28th in passing touchdowns, 31st in completions. Jalen Hurts has to get better. Um, and that's why I think just being a little bit underweight on AJ Brown's terrifying because he's so damn good. Um, but the general environment is not the greatest. 
Well, the preseason vibes, though, are great for A.J. Brown. Great friends with Jalen Hurts. To me, what stands out, and I think we're going to find this out in the first couple weeks of the season, only 23% of Jalen Hurts' attempts last season targeted the middle of the field from the line of scrimmage to 20-plus yards. Conversely, 49% of A.J. Brown's targets were attributed to that area of the field. He loved taking those patterns, those crossing routes directly in front of the quarterback into the trash, outrunning or running over, difficult coverages, safeties waiting for him in that middle of the field area. And it's either a blind spot for Jalen Hurts or this unlocks and gives him the answers. And I don't know if we know the answer to it, but again, so far preseason, that's it. Eagles beat writer is pretty damn good. And they've said it's it's been really, really strong connection between these two players. And we're not that far behind ADP, just two or three spots. Yep. And that's it. He's kind of funneling down into this uh, territory of a bunch of wide receivers, which the next one is uh, is Cortland Sutton. We got to talk about Cortland Sutton because there's been a significant change after Tim Patrick's season-long injury. Unfortunately, it was a bit clouded at this Broncos receiver group, but the clear answer, I think, has always been that we knew who Cortland Sutton is and, and was, and it's been an easy decision because we know he wins on the outside. We know he wins down the field. We know he's been almost an alpha in the past back in 2019 with 72 catches, 1,100 yards, and and six touchdowns. And it's not like you were going to see, well, can Jerry Judy play on the outside more frequently? No, it's just a clear answer. Here he is. And I think that this is why he's now traveled up court and sudden up to that wide receiver 16 point. It's much clearer there, but we even have him, I believe, all the way up as our wide receiver thir- or 14 overall. So we want to be even more over market on Cortland Sutton versus the public. So many things working in his favor. He's one year removed from the torn ACL. And I think that the first year you're back, you're just getting on the field. Then the second year you get back to form. The training camp report's been very positive. He's got great chemistry with Russell Wilson. Makes sense because Russell Wilson likes throwing the ball downfield on the perimeter, and that's where Cortland Sutton wins. Last year, he was terrible in catch rate on deep targets because of the quarterback situation, because he wasn't fully trusting his knee yet. All that stuff's moving in the right direction. I don't see that much target competition in the red zone because Jerry Judy plays small and Cortland Sutton plays big. So I'm totally fine being very high on Cortland Sutton. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, number 33. And to be fully clear, his ADP is like 53 or something like that, which I, I don't understand. You do not have to take him in the third round. You should never take him in the third round. Take right. him in the late fourth round. Take him in the fifth round. You don't have to reach for him just because we have him listed this high. Of course, everyone's freaking out because he had a relatively bad season. Uh, he only had 284 passing yards per game. I apologize. Um, yes, he loses uh, Tyreek <laughs> Hill, but this is the best offensive line he's ever played with. There's actual wide receiver depth here. He's still got Travis Kelsey. The running back depth chart looks fine. And this offense, first in neutral pass rate, first or third in neutral pace. Like he's still Patrick Mahomes. You know, like I don't want to overthink this. Uh, if Patrick Mahomes is slipping, grab him. You don't have to draft him in the third round, but I think we're taking this Tyree Kill stuff a little bit too far here. The offensive line used to be bad. Now it's like a legit positive. I think that just the only stacking him with an early round pick in Travis Kelsey is altering that ADP just, just a little bit. Um, I'm like, you're saying I fully believe in Patrick Holmes and you can draft him as the individual. It doesn't have to be with your first or second round pick that you're stacking him with. There's a boatload of other ones to stack him with afterwards. MVS, Sky Moore, Miko Hardman, Juju Smith, Schuster. You can go down further and further the list. So 
don't just draft him when you draft Travis Kelsey. Get him on your own and stack him late. Love it. I mean, we are so above market on Patrick Mahomes. It's ludicrous. 52 overall, he's going on underdog right now. He keeps dropping more and more and more. And we have him all the way up here at 33. And I think we're going to win out in the end. And I, I do think there's a, a good argument for Patrick Mahomes. This is the best year to be drafting him in these yes. best ball tournaments because his wide receivers go after him. So if you are right about Patrick Mahomes and he still throws for 4,800, 4,800 yards and 45 touchdowns again, Discount. all of a sudden the wide receivers behind him are going to fly up the draft board. So I think it's going to be MVS, Juju. If you're a Sky Moore guy, if you're a McColl Hardman guy, I wish you the best, but you can draft a couple of these guys. And if you're right about Patrick Mahomes, all of a sudden you, you don't have to be right about your first round pick. You can be, you can be right about with your eighth and ninth round pick. Right. Love that. Uh, let's just quickly go over 34, which is Keenan Allen. We basically covered it. I'm not saying he's on the decline of his career, but it's a 30-year-old versus a 28-year-old. A if we expect them to throw down the field a little bit more and Josh Palmer as well as a starter in three wide receiver sets, I'm not saying things are going to be taken away from Keenan Allen, but still, what a top 16 at the position overall ranking. This is one of the few offenses that can support it throughout the league, and I'm very comfortable taking Keenan in this spot, even though if he's not as exciting as someone like Cortland Sutton or even the name that you're about to talk about in DJ Moore. DJ Moore, wide receiver 11 in fantasy usage last year. He was catching passes from Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, and PJ Walker. Uh, he had 6.4 expected touchdowns. I think that number is going to go up because I think the team's going to be better. He's a positive regression uh, candidate in the touchdown department, like I just said, but also on deep targets. The league averages a 48% catch rate on passes 15 yards down the field or, or longer. DJ Moore was at 33%, and I know that DJ Moore could fall, so it's not a fault of his own. If you're looking at just like yards per attempt, Baker Mayfield's career, 7.2 versus Sam Darnold at 6.4. The touchdown rate is 4.6 for Baker. Sam Darnold's at 3 because Baker's willing to take these chances downfield. I actually think that DJ Moore and Baker Mayfield are, are good uh players for one in one another. I think that DJ Moore just, he just needs more touchdowns, but I think this is going to be the first opportunity in a while where I think this offense is at least going to be watchable and yep. the Robbie Anderson stuff seems sketchy to me. The, I haven't heard anything about Terrace, Terrace Marshall really He's out right now. The offensive line's better. You know, they've added some pieces. Hopefully. There. <laughs> I mean, hopefully, but they're better than now, last year's offensive line. So I think a lot of things going in DJ Moore's favor. Yeah. We got to wrap it up soon, but. I'm a little bit nervous of like the natural bump that people gave DJ Moore just being associated to Baker uh, because Baker is just a little bit better than Sam Darnold in my book. Oh, I mean, I would feel it, better, but that has that has escaped again, DJ from like all those 10 wide receivers after wide receiver 15 and elevated him almost to the top of that tier with Cortland Sutton. And I'm okay with that. It's not the overpaying here. He says to score more touchdowns than four in his career for once. And I would put the over under at six and a half. Love that. Okay. Then let's close it out with uh, the positionless man, Kyle Pitts. He's a tight end in your program and on underdog fantasy, but he certainly doesn't have to be used like one. 248 inline snaps last year, 286 in the slot, 237 out wide. I mean, it was the number one tight end, quote unquote, in wide snaps at 34% last year. Uh, he had 12 targets of 20 plus yards last season, just seven receptions. The most important aspect where Cal Pitts, who's still among tight ends, scored pretty nicely last year, is going to improve this year, I think, is red zone work. Only 14 targets inside the 20, seven inside the 10, four catches, and just one measly touchdown. The same as Lee Smith. At the very least, five, seven touchdowns completely transforms Cal Pitts' statistical season. Yeah, last year, nobody scored fewer touchdowns than expected, according to my model. He, he scored one. He was supposed to score five and a half. So let's say he scores five. I think that gets him back into this range. 
He needs to score a lot more touchdowns than that to get into the Mark Andrews conversation. But I think that if you're rolling the dice, you're at least rolling the dice on somebody who led the position in yards per hour run versus man coverage as a 21 year old rookie. I think he like, he turned 21 in like early September too. Yeah. Like baby. And he still was the best against man coverage. Uh, very rare player. And Arthur Smith has to help him out. You know, last year he was going off against slot corners. Whereas, as we talked about with Cooper Cup, Sean McVay did such a great job of putting Cooper Cup, who worked in the slot predominantly, against linebackers and safeties. Do the same thing with Cal Pitts. Do the same thing with Drake London. Use them interchangeably as well. There are some really fun things, even though they're attached to Marcus Mariota, that I think are, are in Cal Pitts's future. And again, I don't want to over or understate the fact that just a handful of touchdowns, which should happen this year, would tr- totally transform last year, everyone citing points per game for Cal Pitts. But at the end of the day, we're also never, ever going to get a discount with him, and you have to take him in round three if you want him. You have to. Yep. Yep. Okay. That's going to do it. What a show. Sean, Nicholas, TD, Best Ball Mod, David, Alejandro, we appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. This Thursday, Matt Harmon is supposed to be guesting on the program. So be here three o'clock Eastern for that. As always, go and check out the rest of the videos that we have on the channel. Stick with us throughout the entire preseason. Big games this weekend, massive sweeping changes we know are going to be happening in your drafts, and we're going to be on top of them. So stick it here and click subscribe. We, as just the underdog community, are going to love preseason more than just about anybody. We got underdog NFL uh, account uh, pushing the news. We have lines in the lobby. If you're looking for to bet on some players, Josh and I are going to be, I'm going to have a column about it. We're going to have videos about it. The preseason's where we shine. Yep. And once again, in the comments down below, after the show, leave your top three selections and your fa- favorite first set round, second round, third round pick. And the best ones, hey, we might send you some merch. All right. Leave your underdog name, username in there if you want an opportunity to do that. For Hayden, I'm Josh. Up the Vela. We will talk to you all soon. See you. <laughs>